Well, good morning, Living Hope Family Church. You guys have amazing pastors who are pretty awesome people who could have just sat back and done nothing and enjoyed where they were at, but instead decided that they would answer the call of God and go ahead and risk. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K, right? That's what we do every time we get ready to do something. Nobody that did anything didn't do a risk. There's no guarantees, right? You start out in something, there's a risk involved. But what makes the risk different with serving God is that we, we know that His power and His ability are backing us up. We're not doing it in our own strength, amen? And uh, so when we said goodbye to uh, them and sent them out in 2013, four years ago, I thought, oh my goodness, I wish we could just keep everybody all together and we could just have a giant big family of people, but then I wouldn't have got to know so many of you guys as well. And I know we see you briefly and I recognize your face, but I don't remember your name always. And uh, as, as you all know, I'm Pastor Mike. My wife, Jane, is here. She's the lady who stood by my side and helped us for these last 25 years. So it's been a great blessing. <clears throat> And uh, we wouldn't be what we are without each other and without what God is doing. And I remember uh, Pastor Wayne and Pastor Michelle were the first couple we married in January of 2003. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see what happens. You know, one of the secrets that we have to actually making a success of something is longevity. If you want to make a success in marriage, you've got to stick around with it for a long time. Longevity is what makes it possible to be able to do, to do great things. And so I encourage you, don't, don't quit. Don't quit. This is the best time for a church's life because at this point we have about 80% involvement. As the church gets bigger, we'll shrink down to how it is in the rest of America, which is about 20% involvement. So this is a great time. I'm so excited. It's wonderful to meet you all again and get to see you. And I want to be able to minister this morning. I want to take forever and I want to be able to just encourage you. So uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and we'll pray together and we'll launch into the Word this morning. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this awesome group of people that you have drawn together, Lord, by your power and because of what you've done through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've made us alive, Lord God. We once were dead in trespasses and sins. You made us alive together with Christ and seated us together with him in heavenly places. And Father, thank you that you have made us to be more than conquerors, more than overcomers, that nothing will ever be able to defeat us. But Lord, as we stand in faith, as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Lord. He'll take us from strength to strength and glory to glory, and we'll reach our ultimate destination. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Probably the biggest announcement today, I forgot. Directly after service, we're going to the park over there behind the skate park, just down the road, and having a cookout and a barbecue. And uh, I just want to make sure everybody knows, in case you guys try to run off again and I miss it, but... Uh, we're just going to cook out, have a good time, play some kickball. I usually get hurt. That's kind of part of the course. So uh, we'll go and have a good time and, uh, directly after the service. And sorry, Pastor Mike, that I forgot. It's not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. Don't miss out on the eats. Hallelujah. All right. So is that, how do we start this? Is it on already? Uh, I hit the right arrow? Okay. Two right arrows? There we are. Okay. I want to speak this morning to you on becoming great. Now, I'm not talking about becoming famous. I'm talking about becoming great. 
Not all of us can be famous. In fact, probably most of us won't be famous at all. I don't know what lies within the scope of the purpose of God for your life. But what I do know is that within the kingdom of God, we can all be great. We can't all be famous, but we can all be great. And of course, Jesus acknowledged the desire that's inherently inside of all of uh, man, uh, mankind, and that is the desire for greatness. And he didn't say, don't desire to be great, but he said, if you want to be great, then you're going to have to learn to be the servant of everybody. That through serving, we become great. Not through getting other people to serve us, but through serving other people. Can you say amen? I know we refer to this as the church service, but for too many of us, it's become the church serve us rather than us serving and doing what God called us to do. And so doing something within the body of Christ is the most important thing that we are called to do. So it's not about fame, although that's pretty much where we get caught up in. Somebody said we should not confuse fame with success. Madonna is famous, but Helen Keller was successful. And uh, so there is a, a, lot of, a lot of focus and attention can, of course, be on the, uh, the renown of somebody or the fact that they're well-known. But, uh, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're well-known for the right kinds of things and for the right kinds of reasons. Amen. And so when we're talking about greatness, we're not talking about great talent because that is, of course, given by God. Uh, and so we need to learn to be humble with that. Fame is man-given. And uh, fame, man is in the habit of taking fame away. And, of course, we need to be grateful with whatever that we have. Uh, conceit, uh, said John Wooden, is self-given, so you have to be careful. So uh, be, be, be careful of patting yourself on the back. One of the things that I do know is that applause of man is very fickle. It's changeable. It doesn't stay the same. It changes constantly. Uh, for example, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they all cheered and waved palm branches and said, Hosanna. And then within less than a week, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The same people who were laying out their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey could walk upon were the same people hitting him in the face, plucking out his beard and beating the thorns into his head with a stick. So the, the reality is that people can think that you're wonderful one moment, and the next moment they can think that you're, you are no good at all. And uh, so uh, let's not get too caught up on what man's opinion is about us, because the real stability of life, the consistent joy of life, is to know that God does not change his opinion about us. One thing we know about God is he's unchangeable. That's what he says to us throughout the Old Testament. He said, because I, the Lord, change not, you are not destroyed, O Jacob. In the book of Malachi, he repeats that. And so we find out that the unchangeableness of God is one of those guarantees that we need in life. So what I want to say to you this morning is, number one, you've been called. Uh, you've been duly deputized, I tell the congregation at Living Hope Family Church recently. I want to remind you again, you've been deputized. You have been given authority. Jesus didn't come to do it all by himself. He said, okay, I'm going to show you how it's done, and then I'm going to go ahead and release you to go ahead and do it. And so he's waiting for us to go ahead and do something. Somebody wrote a Facebook article. They said, um, how many of you want to really see a move of God this year? Right, amen. And I typed underneath and said, what I would really like to see this here is a move of the church. And I believe that's important because, uh, not because I'm trying to be contrary, but because the reality is God has moved. 
God bridged the distance between heaven and earth when he sent Jesus, and he invaded the misery of this earth with the glory of heaven. Heaven to earth came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And now God is calling us to go ahead and live heaven while we're still here on earth. Most people are still waiting for heaven to live heaven, but the call in the Bible is to live heaven while we're still here on earth, to go ahead and live the life of heaven while we're here. Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God wants his will here on earth, and we want, he wants to see that happen. But if the church remains inactive, if the church remains unpersuaded, if the church remains in a sedentary state, then we're not going to see what it is that God wants to exhibit through us and what he wants to manifest through us. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2 says, But now thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that God never tells us there'll be no flames, no rivers, and no troubles in life. He doesn't say that at all. This is not what the Scripture says. Someone said, well, if you get saved, if you give, give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, everything is going to be resolved. Well, ultimately, yes. And you're not going to have the same kind of problems. Thank God He sets us free. He delivers us from what we used to live in, amen? And He brings us into the newness of life. But the reality of it is that there is going to be opposition. And so He doesn't say, if you walk through the waters. He says, when you walk through the waters. Most of us are living life to avoid waters, to avoid flames, and to avoid floods in life. But the Scripture says that God has already taken care of the problem. In fact, what he says that nor will the flame burn you. You won't be scorched. It doesn't say there won't be flames, but the impact of them, the lasting impact of them, will be negated by the presence of God. God will undo the effects of those things that intend to hurt or harm you. Amen. Greatness. That's what we're speaking about, becoming great, right? Not famous. Greatness. Greatness always emerges in conflict. It doesn't emerge when everything's going well. We never really find out what it is that has been deposited inside of us until we face a difficult situation. How many know we're not quitters? We're winners. We're more than conquerors. We're overcomers. But in order for us to visibly express that, we're going to have to have a little bit of a conviction inside of our heart that decides to hold fast to the word that we have heard. Amen. So when things are going smoothly... I don't like conflict. I was going to ask a question, but let me speak from my perspective. I don't like conflict. I would prefer not to have conflict. I would prefer that everything just went smoothly and there were no issues at all. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in any relationship. It doesn't happen in any marriage. It doesn't happen in any family. And it doesn't happen in any church or organization. It just is. There's no such thing as conflict-free. Somebody said, well, if God was really in it, there would be no conflict. Really? All I read in the Old Testament is people in conflict, and God is definitely in it. In fact, the fact that God is in it means that there is going to, of necessity, be a conflict. There is going, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, which I understand you're going through, it says that there needs to be, there, there, there needs to be uh, differences or, or, or divisions in order that those who are approved may become evident. 
And so it seems that when difficulties and trials and things come along, uh, we, need to, we need to know that those are there. They're coming to destroy you, but God is going to use it to manifest His goodness through you. Amen. And if you can keep your eyes on God and not on the things that are going wrong, then you can win. If you're going to look at this situation, somebody recently said to me, said, man, I just, uh, there's just been too much conflict. And I thought, well, the reality is where there's great conflict and great opposition, that means there's great possibilities. Because the enemy is not trying to oppose something that's going to be inconsequential or of no effect. He's opposing something that is going to be really great. The reality, the reason why the enemy attacks marriages is because he doesn't want to have kids that grow up with a sense of the kind of destiny and purpose that God designs for them to be able to experience within the context of a couple that are standing together and contending for the goodness of God in their lives. And so every attack of the enemy is to try and make the world as miserable a picture of hell as possible. But the reality is that the inspiration and the power of God through the Holy Spirit is to make the world a reflection of heaven as much as possible. And of course, in heaven, God's will is unresisted. Can you say amen? And of course, in hell, the devil's will is unresisted because it's all hell all the time. But in heaven, it's all heaven all of the time. But here on earth, we have a struggle. There is opposition. Can you say amen? Amen. So you have been called, and you've been called not to be burned, not to be drowned, and you are called His because He wants to do something through you. Can you say amen? Amen. God didn't say, I'm going to burn you to teach you a lesson. He said, when you pass through the fire, it's not going to burn you. He didn't say, I'm going to nearly drown you so that you can learn your lesson well. He said, no, even when you pass through the waters, it won't overcome you. Amen? It's going, you're going to succeed, not because you don't have trials, but in spite of your trials. You're going to be great, not because you have no opposition, but in spite of the opposition. In fact, you're going to develop as you go ahead and discover the goodness of God in what seems like a contradiction that says, God's not good, God is not for you. If God was with you, why are there so many things going wrong in your life? Anybody ever asked that question? Well, the answer is God is with you. And the reason why stuff's going wrong is because there's an enemy who hates you and he wants to make your life hell. But there's a God in heaven who loves you, who is far greater, who wants to bring heaven down to earth. Amen. Then the next thing uh, we see in Acts chapter 13, 22, uh, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. God found a man, David, but he didn't find a man. He actually found a boy, but God doesn't see the the unfinished product. God sees the finished product. God doesn't see things the way that they are. He sees them the way that he, they're going to be the way that he sees them as, amen? He says, I have found David, a man after my own heart, which doesn't really testify to the actual experience of David because David, when he committed murder, was not acting in the interests of the heart of God. When David went ahead and committed adultery, he wasn't acting in the interests of the heart of God. Can you say amen? But David's weakness was not the issue that God centered in on. What God centered in on was the determination within the heart of the man that he was going to love God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength. David had plenty of opportunities to quit, but never took any of them to heart. God found us just like he found David. God saw what was not even obvious 
And the same thing is, God is after your heart. And I want to ask you, what is your heart after? Is your heart after God? And uh, if so, if it is after God, God is looking for you to be able to do all of His will. Now, some people say, well, no, that's the pastor's job. You know, the pastor's going to do the will of God. We're just here uh, to watch him do the will of God or to applaud when he does the will of God or to give him an attaboy, maybe, or, or to say that was a real lousy sermon, wished you could have preached a better one or something else like that. Or, or maybe we're here just to critique the message. I don't know what it is that you feel your special calling is. But the reality is God didn't call us to do any of those things. He called us to support the purpose of God and the intention of God, which is to make this as much a reflection of heaven as it is possible for us to do through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit operating through us. Can you say amen? Now, if you're going to go through greatness, you're going to have to deal with discouragement. Nobody ever became great without ever experiencing some level of discouragement. If God found David to be a man after his own heart, he certainly found a man who knew how to encourage himself. Time and again, we read David encouraged himself in the Lord. I have heard people explain to me that the reason why their life was not successful and the reason why they didn't overcome is because nobody encouraged them. Nobody was there for me. Nobody called me. Nobody, I thought, I always, when I hear that, I think, well, who did you call? Who did you encourage? Who did you lift up? And the bottom line is not that nobody did it for you, but you didn't do it for yourself. You say, but that shouldn't be the case. I agree with you, it shouldn't. There should be somebody else that always takes care of everything about our lives. But the reality is that God calls us to do that first. We have a responsibility for each of us to carry his own load, and then we have the responsibility to bear the burdens of others. But nobody has the responsibility to carry burdens for people who have no interest in carrying their own responsibility or their own load, as Galatians chapter 6 tells us. And so we must carry our own load. For years, people would tell me, oh, there's no love in this church. And I'd say, well, why aren't you adding any? Why are you not putting any in? Why is there always somebody else who isn't doing it and nobody else is doing it, but you, don't, you see the need and you don't do it either? You're no better than the rest of them then. You are equally part of the problem. You are equally promoting the fact that nothing. You are looking for something to be done for you, but God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you for the rest of the world. Amen. And so our focus needs to be on a different perspective. David spent time with God. And because he spent time with God, the time that he spent with man was not going to make his decisions for him because he had spent the time with God and that had solidified the vision inside of his own heart of what he was called to do. And so we see over here that David has now come to the camp and there's a big giant that's out there shouting the odds at them. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. The, one of the biggest discouragements that happen is the tendency of things to draw attention to you instead of to God. The tendency of things to draw attention to your inabilities rather than to God's great ability on our behalf. The focus is always the thing that determines the decision-making process and ultimately the success or the failure of what we have been called to. If you stop looking at God, you will quit. <clears throat> 
If you start looking at God, you will be discouraged. If you come to God and you say, I am discouraged, it is an admission that God has not been the primary focus of our lives. Now, I know what discouragement is like. I've experienced it as much as anybody else, maybe more, because there's the determination to go ahead and do what God called us to do over and over again. Amen. David didn't understand the long-term effects of his actions in this particular instance. He didn't understand that there would be one who would come who would be called the son of David, the one who would come as the, the conquering and ruling king. David had no idea that there was a legacy that was involved in his determination to succeed. I want you to know, Living Hope Family Church, Morano, there is a legacy in the determination here to succeed to go forward. Whether you're just visiting or you are here, I want you to know this church exists in order to touch this city of Marana. And not just for this generation. I pray Jesus returns in our day. But if he does not, I pray that there are a group of people that at least are real Christians who are going to carry on the message unbroken so that we can continue to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in this part of the world. Can you say amen? My prayer is that you'll make it very hard for people to go to hell in Marana. That you'll make it very hard for people to be lost in the city of Marana. Can you say amen? And the way that we'll do that is by persevering and by pressing on and by going forward. Amen. <clears throat> If David had allowed Saul's caution to prevail over him, if he had listened to the advice of the king who was saying to him, he has been a warrior from his youth, you are just a kid, then David would never have seen any results. He would never have attempted things. We need to attempt big things for God. We need to attempt risky things for God. We need to attempt costly things for God. And we need to not live with the constant fear that things are not going to work out. We need to keep stretching. It's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to sit back. It's easy to be self-congratulatory, to pat ourselves on the back and say, you have done well. But the reality of it is that we have not yet done what we're called to do, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You say, but that can't surely be just for me. No, it's for us together. But we need to all be part of it and all doing our part in it. Amen. Risk and build is the very heart of what we're all about so that we can go ahead and succeed. For us, for us as, a, as, as an organization nationwide and internationally, win, build, send is what we are all about. We're about winning people, building them up, and then releasing them into what God called them to be. Amen. We live in the age where the whole generation that we are part of is being cowed by the mockery of the devil, and we have to make a stand. Amen. There's a giant who rises every morning to accuse the people of God. There's a giant that rises every morning to go ahead and take a stand against the people of God, and we have to do something about that giant. The next thing that we read concerning David was uh, that he, um, whoops, we've gone forward a lot. I don't know. What is that? Discouraged by the king, the next thing we understand, David had to deal with being despised by family. Nobody's ever really got going until the family started, op started opposing them. You say, oh, pastor, we just don't have a family like that. Our family's wonderful. We, we're always nice and supportive of each other, and we really encourage each other to really give God everything. Jesus identified the problem when he said, a man's family will be his worst enemies. 
the idea that somehow family are going to always applaud when you make up your mind that you're going to serve God is not actually found within the pages of Holy Scripture. The reality is that family always have an opinion. And uh, you can say what you like, and uh, I, I, I pray for my family, and I pray for the extended family, and I pray for the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. But there's always going to be somebody that's going to have something to say. And it won't necessarily be God's opinion on the matter. In First Samuel seventeen twenty-eight through 29, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Aren't you glad God found a man after his own heart? Aren't you glad God had established that in David's heart? So that Eliab's words, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. It's amazing that when somebody wants to do something that nobody else is doing, that somebody finds fault with him and says there's something wrong with his heart attitude. But in this case, David's heart was not for personal aggrandizement in any way. He simply wanted to know who was this guy and why was he saying the things that he was saying and why was nobody doing anything about it? Ever, ever seen a situation that said, why is nobody doing anything about this? Yes, right. Amen? Ever looked at a situation that said, why is nobody doing anything about it? That's a call from God for you to get involved. That is a call from, you say, but other people should have got involved. Absolutely. But you're being called now to get involved. Well, they're the army. Yeah, but they're sitting on their blessed assurance, listening to the same old tribe week after week. And, and for 40 days, they're listening. And now you showed up, and now you're here. He said, well, I'm new. I just arrived. Get involved. David went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to take care of this dude. What's his problem? Why is he carrying on like this? This thing can't be left alone. This is an insult. We can't just leave this untouched. And unanswered, we need to do something about it. Is there a situation you are observing that it appears to be unanswered? God's calling you to be involved with that. He's calling you to do it. Amen. People always tell me, well, Pastor, I, got, I have the burden on my heart for this person. I, I need to pray for them. That's why I'm calling you and asking you to go to the hospital. I said, oh, fooey with that. If you've got the burden on your heart, you pray. I pray for all of my burdens. Don't give me your burdens to pray for. If God gave you the burden, he expects you to do the praying. They said, no, 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 we, we need a better person to pray. Then be a better person and pray. <laughs> Amen? So, no, 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 I don't know how to do it. Well, then get trained. But I, I don't know. No, there's too much that goes on in church already to train you. Don't tell me you don't know how. The reality is that we, God never acknowledges any excuse given by man in the Bible positively. He rebukes all excuses. When Jeremiah says, I'm just a youth, God said, don't say, I am just a youth. When Moses says, I, 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 I don't have the kind of speech that's necessary, he said, who made the mouth? Uh, and, and when you read it, it said, well, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of, that's kind of tough, you know. I, I, I just need some soothing words. I, I need somebody to speak nicely to me. But the reality is, God doesn't deal with you that way. I used to think that that was the case, you know, that, yeah, and, and, and you can see Peter getting out of the boat and he's, he's walking on the water and then he begins to sink and then and, and Jesus reaches out and grabs his hand and, he, and, and what does he say to him? He doesn't say, nice try, bud, I'm, you know, that was really good, man. keep going, you'll get better at it, doesn't say that. He said, he said why did you doubt till you have little faith? 
And you can imagine Peter saying, hang on, why are you picking on me? They're all sitting in the boat still. At least I got out on the water. Why don't you rebuke them? Why, why, why are you having a go at me? And, all, and I'm feeling all taken advantage of and I'm being personally insulted and now I have to go through therapy again because <laughs> they didn't speak nicely to me and everything else. <clears throat> the kind of weird thing over here is the family got mad at David, but they weren't mad at the enemy. They were willing to tolerate anything. They weren't willing to tolerate David. They weren't even willing to excuse his, his youthfulness or anything, but they were willing to tolerate for 40 days already an enemy who constantly was having it gone. It's amazing how we are willing to put up with what the devil is doing, but we don't have any tolerance for other people's actions around about us. Kind of fit into a category, don't we? Amen? <clears throat> All right. So uh, the other thing is you wind up getting despised by your enemies as well. So he was despised by his brothers. He was despised by the enemy. But let me just read a thing here that I don't have for some reason. Uh, David spoke to the men. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus knew that we need to be good disciples. How many know we're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ? We're not called to pray a prayer and make sure we've got heaven sorted out and then sit back on our blessed assurance and occasionally attend church and hope that we're going to make it. Jesus said, follow me. If you're not following him, then I question whether you're really saved. You say, but that's kind of like works, isn't it? No, that's kind of like what kind of real faith do you have? The real deal that follows or the, real, or, or the, the fake version that is willing to just have fire insurance? We are actually all firemen here. Uh, one, one revivalist said, firemen standing around while the city burns and people die would feel the shame and injustice of their inaction. Why has the church not felt the same shame and injustice as we sit around while millions slip into hell unwarned and not pleaded with? We need to do something. When he saw him, the Philistine looked at him and saw that he disdained him. That means he regarded him with contempt. For he was but a youth. And ruddy with a handsome appearance. He was looking more like Orlando Bloom than uh, the younger version of Orlando Bloom. Obviously got older now than what he would, would have been. So he thought, well, this is just a, this is just a, 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 a nice looking guy. He's going to be beat up. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I thank God that we're not just ordinary, fresh-faced people that are doing something. I'm certainly not fresh-faced anymore, but when I started out, I was. Uh, this, is my, uh, the, the, this, this is one of my, my years. This coming year is my 40th year of being born again. And uh, I thank God for the privilege of being able to serve Him. I haven't done everything right, but I've kept going in the right direction. Uh, I haven't always not fallen, but I did get up and keep walking on. I encourage you to do the same. Don't ever quit. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, David's called here, but sometimes you're going to show up on the scene and you're going to be called to fight somebody else's giant. Because this wasn't a giant that David, David had faced the lion and the bear by himself. And now he comes to feed his brothers and there's a giant, not his giant, but the giant that faced the army. And now suddenly God's calling on him to face and to take care of that giant. And he could say, well, that's not my giant. It's not my problem. It's not my thing. 
You know, that's their thing. That's what they're trained for. That's what they're supposed to do. It's amazing how the trained and the people who are there are not actually doing what they're called to do. And God's saying, no, I want you to do it. I want you to. And you could say, well, I'm just young. I, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't have the ability. Uh, the, and and uh, people have been telling me for years, you know, let's, let, let's, let's be careful. You know, we don't, we don't want to send out young men and young women to do what God called them to do. Because they, they, they're, they're not perfect yet. I got news for you. Nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. We all make mistakes. God doesn't use perfect people because there are no perfect people that he could use. Nobody out there is perfect. David, of course, uh, was, a, was, a, was a young man who went ahead and did it, but we have a history of relying on young men to do it. The people who recaptured Europe from Nazi Germany were between 19 and 23 years of age. And now I hear within the church, well, we can't send people out who are still in their 20s. Really, how much longer are we going to wait? If as a nation we use young men and women to go ahead and to conquer our enemies, why, why is it suddenly that we must now regard younger people as in, unqualified or not able to go ahead and do the things that God called us to do? <clears throat> One of the things uh, that we find over here, though, as we look at this, and I want to just say this, is that some, some of your giants won't be able to be taken care of with stones. Some of your giants you can't actually get up and slay. Some of them you have to live with. Amen? Some of them you can't kill. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. What giant is it that rises and mocks you every morning? What giant is it that makes you stand silent, feeling incompetent and incapable of doing anything while you look down at your feet and shuffle around? What giant is that? And are you allowing that one to continue? Or do you understand that the stone that God has given to you in his word is your ability to go ahead and to knock it down. David fought giants, it's true, but the biggest giant David ever fought was not Goliath, it was Saul. And dealing with the issues, that was the greatest preparation in his life. To make him a good leader was to be under the authority of a not-so-good leader. And not to be willing to take it into his own hands some giants you can't kill with stones. You have to kill them with character. And that's what David did. He had to overcome. The reality is that when David slew Goliath, the, the, the girls all sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. But nobody sang about the difficulties that David dealt with with King Saul. Nobody sang about that at all. It's one of those real tests and struggles that nobody actually sees. In 1 Samuel 24, 11 through 12, Now my father, see indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no, and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. <clears throat> yes, yeah, a great opportunity. You know, sometimes as we're building uh, greatness inside of us, as God's developing things inside of us, we have the opportunity to do in the flesh what God does not want us to do in the flesh. You cannot become great through the actions of the flesh. You're going to have to do it through the Spirit. What you want to do and what you must do are not always the same. Recently, we, we, uh, we heard that the, 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 the vision of God for your life is always going to find resistance from the flesh. 
And when David is here, the, the people with him are actually saying, hey, you can kill this guy. You can take care of him. God gave him into your hand. Look, he's there. He's over. Just get up and solve your problem. Used to have somebody in a church I was part of. He said, man, if I could backslide for 10 minutes, I could solve all my problems. Now, that, now you're going to have a whole bunch more at the end of the day than you ever bargained for. You'll be making more problems. But David here is, uh, is, is, the men are saying, hey, he's in your hand. God gave him into your hand. And David said, no, I'm not going to use my own hand. I refuse to rely on the flesh or my own abilities to deal with the problems. I'm going to keep entrusting myself and entrusting you and your future to God. I'm not going to get involved. <clears throat> so time and again, we see that uh, the, the, the desire of man is to take care of things, but God wants to build some things into your heart. Amen? <clears throat> Hallelujah. See, there's a faith test here, but I, whoops, despised by enemies, the faith test. <clears throat> I don't know where the faith test came from, but <clears throat> somewhere in here. All right. So the faith test is David saying, I'm going to trust God even when the situation looks negative and even when it looks like it's not going to work out. Can you do that? When, uh, when the other person's not cooperating. In fact, when the other person's actually working against you. Can you entrust it to God and can you keep on looking to Him and holding fast to Him? If we can keep on Doing what God called us to do. I don't know what's going on with this. Okay. It's just trying to build character in me this morning. Okay, the double portion is what we're after. There we are. Usually I would just click it and don't care what's happening behind me, but I'm making sure it's up there. <clears throat> One of the things I want to say to you, Living Hope Family Church Morana, is that real greatness means that you have somebody that will follow on after you. Don't leave this life until you've trained and raised up somebody else to do what you are currently doing. Everybody should have somebody that they're helping grow. Everybody should have somebody that they are in fellowship together with as an equal, and everybody should have somebody that they are looking up to as a spiritual leader to go ahead and provoke them in their life to greater acts of growth. Amen? If you find a church that you really like, you shouldn't go there. You should go to the one you don't like because that's the one that's really irritating the areas of your carnality to be able to grow. Amen? People always tell me, I really like this church. I mean, what is it that you like? If it's irritating you and your carnality to go ahead and say, no, I can't stay like this. I've got to get spiritually more mature. Then you come to the right place. Hallelujah. But if it's like, oh, man, I just love this place. It just makes me feel like I'm, you know, I'm in a warm bath and I'm just slipping into oblivion. That is not the place for you. Just saying, you should go somewhere else. Hallelujah. Uh, so uh, God wants to be able to uh, leave a successor for us. In Second uh, Kings chapter 2, we find Elijah is the man who, uh, is, uh, who has Elisha that follows him uh, around. And uh, he get, tries to get discouraged. <clears throat> In uh, verse 8, Elijah took his mantle, folded it together, struck the waters of the river Jordan. They divided here and there, and so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. 
And when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, you, you and I can't get more of something uh, from God, but we can certainly release more of what we have. And uh, releasing more of what we have does not happen simply by developing higher levels of faith without application. Faith without application is not what God's after. He wants a faith that works. Not faith or works, but a faith that works. A faith that does something in the kingdom of God. Amen. And so uh, what Elijah is, uh, Elisha is doing here, he's saying, I want a double portion. He's actually claiming the rights of sonship. Deuteronomy 21, 17 says that the firstborn son or the primary son gets a double portion. And so when he's saying, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to inherit the portion of the son that is your primary son. So in, in many ways, he's saying, I am a son to you. I want what you have in the double portion, I'd like that because that's my rights as what God has assured to me. And, and let me just say, leaving a, an inheritance to your children and your children's children is what Proverbs calls a righteous man. But if the inheritance you're leaving is just money, uh, then that is not a very well-rounded inheritance that you are leaving. We need to leave a godly inheritance to our children and children's children. Amen? That they'll know that we served God and that we did everything that we had. So, as Elijah and Elisha stood by the Jordan River, uh, they were coming down there. There were 50 sons of the prophets who stood at a distance in this particular area. And as they stood at a distance, they were saying again and again, they said three times to Elisha, do you know that your master will be taken away from you today? And he said, yes, I do. Be quiet. Each time they said it to him. So they know exactly what's going to happen. They're prophesying, but they're not doing anything. They're prophesying, but they're not following. They're involved. They know what's happening, but they're not actually involved in or integrated into the discipleship process. They haven't been together with Elijah during that time. They're not faithfully doing what it is that they're called to do. So they have some kind of a ministry, but they don't have the kind of ministry that's going to produce a successor or somebody who's going to come on after them. And I, I want you to know that as a pastor, I am a recruiter for the kingdom of heaven. I'm looking for human resources for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I'm looking for the human resources in order to build the kingdom of God while we are still here on earth to do what God called us to do to make sure the kingdom of God succeeds. And some people say, well, God's kingdom will succeed with or without us. It is true, but it would be better with us. Not for the kingdom, but for us. Amen. Better to have a part in it and to be inv involved with it. Amen. In uh, the next part over there, uh, he, so he asked for a double portion. How, if you want just the same portion, uh, I want you to know you can have just an ordinary portion, but if you want to really go ahead and follow hard after what God wants for you, you can increase the effect of it in your life. And we do know that Elisha went on and he performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and when it came, when it came and, and about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I shall not leave you. And so they went to Bethel. You know, discouragement comes in many forms. <clears throat> when Elijah had called Elisha, he threw his mantle on him. Uh, and called him, 
He burnt his plow, he cooked the oxen, he fed it to his friends, and then he came and he followed God's purpose for his life. Uh, And uh, as your moment comes for release into what God called you, as your moment comes for your greatness finally to begin shining out of you because you've been serving and you've been doing, then there's going to be multiple opportunities for you to turn back. This is what happens over here. He gets to Gilgal, he gets to Bethel, he gets to the Jordan. Each place he says, turn back, don't follow after me, turn back. And each time, Elijah says, twice from the prophets, he's told to turn back. Three times from Elijah, he's told to turn back. And in each case, he says, I'm not, fo- I'm not turning back. I'm not. I-, I don't know, what, what was Elijah's case anyway, telling Elisha to turn back? What was the point in doing that? Somebody said, well, was he really serving the purpose of God? And I know sometimes leadership, church leadership, doesn't look like it's really doing what God wants them to do. It looks like they're working against the purpose of God. But I know that if Elijah had not had it as a settled attitude in his heart that he was determined to follow and he would never turn back, that they would have quit at some, that he would have quit and would not have seen what it was that God wanted for him. All right, so... Uh, there are many opportunities to turn back. In John 6, 66 through 68, it says this is Jesus ministering his disciples. And then he tells them, hey, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, he's not giving them instructions for communion because he didn't snap off an arm and said, here, share this with each other or do anything else like that. He was using an idiomatic expression, which basically meant you're going to have to become totally part of me and I'm going to have to become totally part of you. They said, wow, that's a little bit too intimate. We had much clearer defined difference between you and us so that we still retain some of our own identity and independence. And he said, if you desire is for identity of independence, he said, you're not going to be able to be my disciples. So they said, in which case, we think the requirement's too high. We're going to quit and we're going to make a run for it. And many people did. It says in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And the reality is Jesus didn't run after them and said, hey, wait, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know that there would have been people who could, there are people today, there are churches today who would watch this and say, wow, they just had a church split. Wow, they can't be succeeding very much because they're down to just a handful. There used to be thousands. Man, I remember when it was successful. And many people would have regarded Jesus here as not successful. Many people would have had the attitude and said, well, this isn't really, an exa- this is not a glowing example of the power of God. It used to be like that. Wow, we really wish we were back with the heyday. The heyday was the non-committed day. The heyday was the easy, happy-go-lucky, nobody wants to really be all the way in day. That's what the heyday was. And they withdrew from him and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? At this point, if I, I disciples say, "Whoa, Jesus, could we just time out, time out? Can we, can we, can we lay off the let's get committed moments here, please? We've already lost a whole bunch of people. Let's let's just stick with what we've got." But Jesus said, "No, it's not about the numbers. It's about the attitude of heart of the ones that are there." And uh, I thank God we're going to reach many thousands of people. Amen. And we do continue to, to grow, and we do continue to see more things happen. But here he said, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Bible is a book of discipleship written by disciples on how to make disciples. Discipleship is not a part of Christianity. Discipleship 
is Christianity. It's the very guts of Christianity. Jesus didn't say, pray a prayer and know that you're going to heaven. That is the most reduced form of Christianity that we as evangelicals have come up with. What Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. At the end of his life, as he's, after the resurrection, he turns to Peter and he says to him, follow me. And he turns around and said, well, what about John? And he says, don't worry about anybody else. You follow me. So the message at the beginning, when he calls them and says, follow me, is the message at the end of his ministry, which is still, follow me. And then he says to him, here's the thing that's going to happen to you. When you were young, you went where you wanted to, and you dressed the way that you wanted to. And when you were old, somebody is going to lead you where you don't want to go. And the reality is that as we continue to trust God, <clears throat> as we continue to dive in, some people sometimes have said to me, well, wow, you keep preaching like this. We're going to empty the church out. You know, We're afraid that we'll have 100% commitment. And I always tell them, don't worry about that. There'll be more than enough disobedient people to stay here and keep everything going. Fear not, O ye faint of heart. Enough will be disobedient and stay behind. But we really are in the business of training people to take the world for Jesus. This is the world-conquering group, amen? This is why we're here. Jesus said, fear not, I have overcome the world. And it wasn't just so that we would deal with a few issues where, you know, the landlord was a little upset at us this week or <clears throat> any of these other things, or we, we have the aggravation of somebody else's dog pooping on our lawn or whatever else it is, those are minor things. It's really about taking back the world for the sake of God. Amen? It's faithfulness and therefore greatness in service that we should seek after. Commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ and not comfort is what we have been called to. Amen? <clears throat> Let's go ahead and bow our heads together for a moment.